0: Amen. He is good, isn't he? Amen. I mean, he's looking forward to this coming year of what the Lord's going to do. Amen. Amen. Let's have an outlook on it. You know, God's going to do some great things. Amen. Very much so. We're glad to see you again this morning. We're blessed today. Malachi is going to bring the message for us today, so we're going to ask him to come and and uh, bring the word for us this morning. I know he's going to be leaving, I think, this weekend and be back in a couple of months or so, but we're glad to have him. So... I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to pray with you before you get started, and you can turn it over to you. So if you bow your heads with this, I'll pray. Father, today we just thank you again for this time you've given us today to be in your house. And I pray, Father, today for this young man here that's coming speaking for us today. Father, Jesus, just knowing him with your the power, their Holy Spirit, Father, he can speak the words that you'd have us do. Prepare our hearts for this message. For Jesus, let me pray. Amen.
1: Good morning. <clears throat> just to uh, start this off, why don't we uh, get or give the Lord a hand clap of praise for a new year. You know, in life we have a lot of, a lot of troubles and trials and suffering, things like that. Um, but there's a lot of good. There's a lot of reasons to celebrate. There's a lot of reasons to be thankful and grateful. And just the fact that we have another year of life another day of where we can breathe and be with our family members and, and our friends and enjoy what God has created and enjoy our salvation in Christ. You know, it's a great blessing. So we need to remember that. So um, in the message today, um, I don't want this just to be, you know, the the old generic New Year's resolution sermon. Not like that, but... Um, I think, you know, it's funny, we as human beings, we're kind of funny creatures. We, we have this thing called time, and we count by it, and you know, time is significant for us. You know, we do birthdays and anniversaries, where it's like a, a year later or ten years later from the significant date. So we, we really think about things in terms of time. And that is, you know, when we consider that, I think it's really a good opportunity for us, at the beginning of a new year, for us to really do some self-reflection, And some self-inspection, right? Because we've come to the close of one year and we get to look back on our lives. And we get to examine ourselves and we get to ask ourselves, you know, where, where am I at? Where am I at in my relationship with God? Where am I at in my relationship with my family members, with my friends, with my co-workers? What are my goals? What are my dreams, my aspirations? What are the desires of my heart? What do I want more than anything else? And also, what do I need to change? What are some bad habits and and sinful patterns in my life that I need to get rid of? So, I really do think that the beginning of a new year is a great opportunity for us to just slow down and really reflect and think about where we're at, where we are going, and where we want to be at the end of this year, and also when we finally stand before God on Judgment Day. So I don't want this just to be a cliche New Year's message, but I do want to give all of us, including myself, a challenge this morning. So my challenge for all of you at Oak Grove, and for myself as well, is that we learn how to show mercy this year. That we learn how to become more merciful, just as our Heavenly Father is merciful. So we're going to start off this morning in Matthew chapter 5. going to be reading various scriptures today. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. And these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You know, there are certain passages in the Bible that really just kind of tie me in knots, and I'm not really sure how to understand them or how to interpret them sometimes. But I'm thankful to the Lord that there's also passages like this right here. I mean, that is simple and straightforward. There's no bad way to interpret this, right? It's simple. It's right there in front of you. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And in the context of this verse... This verse is found in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And this is one big sermon that Jesus preached about how people who are in the kingdom of God need to think, behave, and speak. So, a person in the kingdom of God is called to be merciful, and Jesus says that. He pronounces a blessing upon the merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So, he establishes this principle here. That when we are merciful towards other people, towards our family members, towards our friends, towards complete and total strangers, towards people of a different political persuasion, towards people who look different from us, think different, don't have what we have or have more than we have. When we are merciful towards them, God will be merciful towards us. And that is both a great encouragement, but it's also kind of a warning because we know that if we are unmerciful towards others, that God will act unmerciful towards us. And we may think to ourselves, well, what right does God have to do that? Well, he's God and we're not. He's the righteous judge. I don't have the right to judge someone else or to condemn someone else or to discipline them for their sins because I'm not God. He's the only one who has that right and that privilege because he's the judge, so he calls us to be merciful, for then we shall receive mercy. And Jesus really hammers this point home later on in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. And we'll go through this rather quickly, but just pay attention to what Jesus says here. Starting in verse 21. <clears throat> Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And I'm pretty sure there's some translations that say like 70 times seven, something like that. So Peter, he comes up to Jesus with this question. And I think, I don't know, the Bible doesn't say this, but I think Peter was kind of, you know, thinking, oh, this is going to be an impressive suggestion to Jesus. I'm going to ask him how many times I need to forgive my brother. And I'm not going to suggest twice or three times or even five times. I'm going to suggest that we need to forgive our brothers when they sin against us up to seven times. Because that's a lot, right? When someone sins against you seven times in a row, you're probably not going to be feeling very merciful and very forgiving. Well, in style, in fashion... Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven. The point, Jesus is not saying that once you get to 77 or to 490, then you can start being unmerciful. The point is that you're supposed to forgive without limits. When someone sins against you over and over again, you are supposed to forgive them. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to be a doormat and just be abused and stuff. You can get out of a harmful situation or a harmful relationship, but it does mean that you are to forgive the person, to not hold their sins against them. And there's no limit to that. So I I bet at that point Peter was thinking, man, this is... Seven was probably too much for me, but 77 times? Or 70 times seven? I don't know if I can do that. Well, Jesus really hammers the point home even further in this parable that he shares in verses 23 through 35. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Okay, just for reference, 10,000 talents in that day and age would be like telling some average Joe on the street here, that you owe me a billion dollars. Like an unpayable debt. And that day and age, 10,000 talents was literally an unpayable debt. So this servant owed this king an unpayable debt. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. y'all, this is a beautiful picture of what of the gospel, right of what God does with us because we owe God an unpayable debt, Amen. the debt of eternal separation from him for, for our sins, for our rebellion. but Jesus went to the cross and paid that debt for us. Amen. So because of that, when we ask God for compassion, and for mercy, and for for forgiveness, he forgives us of our unpayable debt, because Jesus paid that for us. God has mercy upon us. If you are in Christ, that means that God has had mercy upon you, and that he has forgiven you an unpayable debt, because Jesus, since he was God, he alone was able to pay that debt in our place. So, this is a beautiful picture of that in this parable. The king forgave his servant this unpayable debt. And out of pity for him, see, or yeah, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That was a lot of money, but it wasn't anything in comparison to 10,000 talents. Who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So here's this servant and his master, the king, forgives him this unpayable debt. And then he immediately goes out and he finds one of his fellow servants who did owe him a pretty good chunk of change. It was a payable debt. And instead of showing compassion, and mercy to his fellow servant, just as he had received mercy and compassion. It says that he, choke him, he choked him, began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. This was the exact same response that the original servant had towards the king. He fell down and asked him for mercy and for patience. But instead of doing what the king did, Instead of forgiving his fellow servant this debt, he went and had him thrown in prison. He was unmerciful after he himself had received mercy. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. This is kind of a side note, but let me tell you something. One of the worst ways, one of the worst witnesses we can give to the world of the mercy and grace of God is, be by, is by being unmerciful. Amen. That is a disgraceful witness to the world of God's mercy and grace because even though he's been gracious towards us and merciful towards us, when we are unmerciful, when we are harsh, when we are bitter, when we are unforgiving, what is that telling all of them about God? And that, will, that leads people to be distressed. It's not a good example. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him over to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So this is, it's it's convicting, isn't it? When you think about our our lives and how at times we are unmerciful. At times we don't want to forgive. At times we hold grudges. At times we are bitter. But I give praise and thanks and honor to God that he has not treated us in that same way. Can you imagine if God was not merciful? If he was not gracious? If he was not kind and not forgiving? What type of horrendous life we would have. And then after that, after you die, there's no hope because you're going to hell. No forgiveness, no mercy available. But God is merciful. He is kind. So if God has offered His mercy to us in Christ, what right do we have to withhold mercy from others? And I know some people will probably think, well, you really don't know what this person did to me. You really don't know how long I've suffered this person's abuse or mistreatment. And I'm not trying to invalidate that whatsoever. But I guarantee you that whatever someone has done to you is not nearly as bad as all of the sins you've committed against God. God is a holy judge and he is righteous. There's a reason why he punishes sin for an eternity. Because sin is that bad. Yet he has forgiven us. He's shown us grace. He's shown us compassion. He gives us all the benefits we have in creation. And he gives us more than anything a relationship with himself. And the promise, the assurance of eternity in heaven even though before coming to Christ, we were his enemies. So we should also extend mercy and grace and kindness to others. And I was looking up the definition of mercy um, in different you know, biblical passages and in the Greek language. And this is basically about the best summarized definition I can come up with of the biblical definition of mercy. Because oftentimes you'll hear, you know, that grace is whenever you give something to someone who doesn't deserve it. And that's true. And mercy is when you withhold something from someone that does deserve something bad. And that is true. But there is something, there is a little bit more depth actually behind the word mercy in the Bible. So this is what the word mercy means in the scriptures. To have compassion... To understand that a person is broken, hurting, and imperfect, and to extend grace, help, and love to them even if they don't deserve it. Okay? That's what the word mercy literally means in the Bible. To be faithful to someone, to show them good even when they don't deserve it. And that oftentimes involves, you know, withholding something from someone that they do deserve. So I'm gonna read that one more time. Pay close attention to this. Mercy. To have compassion to understand that a person is broken, hurting, and imperfect, or in other words, sinful, and to extend grace, help, and love to them even if they don't deserve it. This is God's attitude towards us, and this should be our attitudes towards everyone, towards our family members, friends, strangers, everyone. We should have merciful hearts. You know, there's a, a verse in the book of James, I'll read this quite briefly, that kind of echoes what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 18. If I can find the book of James, there it is. Yeah, uh, James chapter 2, verse 13, it says, "...for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment." And I was reading some commentaries and notes about this passage, and a lot of people were saying that this is referring to like unbelievers, like when a person's not a Christian, as a style of life, they're going to be unmerciful, they're going to be bitter, they're going to be harsh, and for that reason, they're not going to be shown mercy in the judgment. And I think that this verse does have application for that, because obviously an unbeliever, an unsaved person, if they haven't received God's forgiveness, they're not going to be very willing to give mercy and grace and forgiveness to someone else. So it does have application for that, but... I think that James is talking to Christians here. Because in verse 1 in chapter 2 he says, "My brothers." And this whole passage he talks about, you know, how we shouldn't show favoritism and how we should love our neighbor as ourselves. And then in verse 12 he says, "So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty." He's speaking to Christians. And then he says to Christians, "...for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment." So since he's talking to believers, he's not talking about judgment in terms of heaven and hell. He's talking about judgment in terms of rewards or lack thereof because the Bible teaches that even we as Christians will be judged. Our fate has already been decided in terms of heaven and hell because Jesus died for our sins and in Him we are forgiven. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But when we stand before God on Judgment Day, we are going to receive rewards, and we are going to be held accountable for everything that we have said and done, and we're going to have to explain ourselves to God. So what James is saying is that if a believer is not merciful towards people, then God is going to really put the screws to them whenever they get to heaven, when they stand before Him on that day. They're not going to receive as many rewards, and they're going to be held accountable down to the last letter of the law for the things that they have done or for the things that they have not done. And listen, y'all, I don't want to be that guy that has to stand before God and hear about all these different things that I messed up. I don't want to be unmerciful towards others because I don't want God to have that same disposition towards me. And that's why he says mercy triumphs over judgment. If you want to have complete and supreme confidence on the day of judgment when you stand before God, be merciful, be kind to your neighbor, be forgiving, be loving, because that's the same disposition and same attitude you are going to receive from God on that day. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, says this, As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. That's the standard, y'all. If God has forgiven us, we need to forgive other people. So I know, you know, we, we sit in here together and all this sounds, sounds great. It sounds wonderful. We all want to carry this out. We're truly Christians. We really do want to do this. But then we go out into the world and we find out that it's hard. It's difficult because some days we're just run ragged and we're worn out. And then someone does something that just irritates the fire out of us. And then we snap. right? So it's difficult to carry this out. But as the Lord has forgiven us, so we also must forgive. When you're having a hard time showing forgiveness and showing mercy, just think about Jesus hanging on the cross. Just think about Him there shedding His innocent blood for your sins in order to save you in His supreme love for you. Meditate on that image in your mind, and I promise you it will become a whole lot easier to forgive people who have either wronged you or who are just downright annoying you in the moment. Focus on him. Amen. So, um, as we continue in this message here, I want us to continue. I'm kind of, we're going to kind of shift gears here. I want us to continue to focus on showing mercy. That's going to be the theme of this message in its entirety. But I want us to really focus on how we can show mercy to our family members, right? Because whatever is happening in the home is going to affect everything else in our lives. It's going to affect the way we think. It's going to affect the way we speak, the way we act. Whatever's happening in the home is going to affect everything in our life. And I believe even our relationship with God. So in this moment, we're going to really shift gears here and focus on how to show mercy to our family members. Because what oftentimes happens is that we are often most unmerciful with those that we love the most. Isn't that ironic how we do that? We're just, we're so silly sometimes. We are most unmerciful with those that we love the most because what happens is that we hold them to the highest standard possible. When we love someone, we want them to treat us well and we also want them to be okay, so we hold them to a certain standard. We want them to think a certain way, we want them to speak a certain way, we want them to behave a certain way, But at the same time, since they're our family members and we're around them constantly, we get to see that they are messed up and that they fall short of the standard each and every day. We hold them up here in expectation and then we find out they're about right here in reality. And that includes us, right? It includes everyone. That's what happens. And that's, I believe, why oftentimes we are most unmerciful with those that we love the most. So we need to really learn how to show mercy and grace because so many families nowadays are hurting and they're divided and they're having problems and issues. And I really believe that so many of our problems in our families would be solved if we would simply learn how to show mercy and grace to one another. So we're going to start off here by addressing husbands and fathers first. And this includes me in this category since I'm married now. So husbands and fathers. Since God has placed husbands and fathers as the head of the household, as the primary authority in the house, we should be held in the first place of accountability since we are the leaders of the household. Husbands and fathers. How can we show mercy? Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be reading verses 25 and verse twenty and verse 33. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and 33. And husbands and fathers, I really want you guys to pay attention here. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself. So once again, God has given us the standard. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and did what? Gave himself up for her. So the love of a husband for his wife is to be a sacrificial love, where we put ourselves second and put our wives first but here's the issue husbands we all know that our wives are imperfect right they're sinful just like us we are fully aware of our own imperfections well guess what they are imperfect as well they're never going to be perfect in this life but we need to show love and grace to them anyways because that is what god has commanded us to do and that is what christ has done As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. After dying for the church, Jesus now cares for the church, right? And as a church body, boy, we're messed up. we got a lot of good going on. God is working in our lives and he's conforming us to the image of Christ. But sometimes it is going at a snail's pace. And it's not his fault, it's our fault, right? Yet Jesus is patient with us and he's kind and he's gracious and he loves his bride, the church. And husbands, that's the standard. When you see that your wife is messed up, when she's not doing what she's supposed to do, whatever it may be, show mercy, show grace, show kindness. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, it says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And that's that's a big issue, okay? And I know I'm speaking from experience here because last year was, well, oh, wow. It's a new year. So back in 2021, me and Astrid first got married on January 15th. And I remember very early in our marriage, um, I was trying to, you know, help Astrid to become a better person, a better wife, a better Christian. And I would tell her, do this, do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. And eventually one day she just kind of stopped and she basically asked me, is there anything that you actually like about me? And uh, boy, that was <laughs> just like that, you know, really cut to the heart. And I needed to hear that because I wasn't just criticizing her all the time, but I was criticizing her so much that that's what she felt like. She felt like there was nothing that I actually liked about her, that I was just thinking, oh, she's messing this up and that up and that up. She's not doing this. And uh, man, that convicted me. I was like, I've got to be more tender. I've got to be more compassionate. Obviously, as a husband, we, or as husbands, we should want our wives to be better. We should want to lead them to become more like Jesus each and every day. That is our responsibility as the spiritual leader of the household. But at the same time, we've got to show mercy. We've got to show grace and kindness. And just generally speaking, this I know some men and women are different, but generally speaking, as men, we'll probably talk to each other with a bit more bluntness and frankness and harshness, just to really get the point across. But with our wives, oftentimes we need to be more tender and compassionate and kind with our Words. That's just the way God designed men and women, generally speaking. I know there's some women out there that are as tough as shoe leather, and there's men that are as soft as cotton, okay? I know that. We're all different. But generally speaking, boy, we've got to show tenderness and kindness. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Rather, be merciful and kind towards them. And after Astrid told me that, I really started trying to be kinder, and more merciful to her, towards her, and I'm still working on that to this very day, but I noticed that after I started treating her with more dignity and respect and gentleness, she actually started to become a better person and a better wife. When you're just going after your wife and just after her, after her, after it, that's just going to make her feel defeated, okay? And she's not gonna improve. She's not gonna get better. She may even get worse, become a worse person because of your harshness. I'm telling this from experience, y'all when we show tenderness and compassion and mercy, boy, that can really help our wives to feel empowered and strengthened and loved and supported. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Love them as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her and show mercy. Okay, now, fathers. Ephesians chapter six, verse four. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then Paul says something very similar in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. He says there, Fathers, do not provoke your children. That same exact phrase. Do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Again, our children, I don't have children yet, but I see children, you know, in the church and down in the church in Panama, and I see how they behave, and boy, they're out of control sometimes, right? And dads, I'm sure that drives y'all absolutely up the wall sometimes when you see your kid not doing what they're supposed to do. When they do the very thing you've told them not to do 150 times in a row, and they're still doing it. And listen, as I think that Parents should be more disciplined of their kids. Just generally speaking, I think parents let way too much slide with their children. But also, we see the other extreme sometimes, where fathers and mothers are too hard on their children. They're too unmerciful. Because guys, we got to remember that we too were teenagers at one time doing a whole lot of stupid stuff that we should have never been doing. And yet God, our Father in Heaven, had mercy upon us. Therefore, we should have mercy upon our children when they make mistakes. We should discipline them. We should be strict. We should set boundaries and rules and enforce them. But we should show mercy and grace and forgiveness. Because again, if you want your kid to really see the love of God in you, you'll show strictness and you'll show just as much mercy. Because that is what God has done with us. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And as men, another struggle we have oftentimes is, is our temper, right? When we get angry, we start provoking those around us. When we get angry, we provoke our wives. When we get angry, we provoke our children. And that does not lead to anything good. Uncontrolled anger in a man can really just tear a household apart. And the Bible says in Proverbs 29, a man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much Transgression. When a person is unmerciful, when a man is unmerciful, that will lead to uncontrolled anger and that can tear a household apart. And when that Bible says that it leads to much transgression, it's not just talking about his own transgression. Because he's going to provoke the people in his household to sin as well. Fathers, husbands, may we learn to have compassion, to understand that our wives and children are Broken, hurting, and imperfect, and may we learn to extend grace and help and love to them even when they don't deserve it. Let's show mercy to those we love. Okay, moving on now to wives and mothers. Notice I went after the men first, okay? So y'all don't get after me. Wives and mothers. We're going to start here in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 33 again. <clears throat> However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And then Colossians chapter three, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Wives, you guys know that you're imperfect, just like your husbands are. And the Bible commands you to respect your husbands. And to submit to their authority it doesn't mean you're a doormat it doesn't mean your opinion doesn't matter not like that but just to respect the husband as the primary authority in the household nothing will turn a man away from his wife like disrespect i assure you of that when a man does not feel respected when he does not feel valued when he feels like his wife does not like him that will turn him in the opposite direction in an instant. And that's why oftentimes a husband, whenever he gets upset with his wife, will just turn his back and walk away. No communication and it will just fester. And oftentimes what happens is that the wife has seen that her husband is imperfect and she will be disrespectful towards him because of that. And then we run into all sorts of problems and that makes it more difficult for the wife to love the husband and then we've got this whole big mess. So wives... When you see that your husbands sometimes are not compassionate, as they should be. When sometimes they're not tender or sensitive enough. When they're not wanting to talk sometimes, when they're just worn out and they feel like they don't have time for you in the moment. Show mercy. Show grace. Show forgiveness and compassion. Because I assure you that your husband probably does care about the family, but he may just be worn out. And listen, communication in a marriage it is so important. When you see that your spouse is off, when they're kind of feeling catty or whatever, and they're, they're, they're angry and they're not wanting to talk or whatever, just ask them what's going on. Instead of assuming that it's something to do with you or that, that they don't like you anymore or something, just ask them. I know that whenever I'm really struggling with something and when Astrid asks me, you know, hey, wh- what's going on? When I get to tell her that, it brings us closer together. Even if it's something to do with her. That I have an issue with. When we get to communicate with one another, it brings us closer together. So wives, your husbands are going to be imperfect. They're going to be blockheads at times. Show mercy to them. Show compassion. Show grace. Respect them. And they will honor you and respect you when you show that respect to them. And also mothers, you know, the Admonition to fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That goes for you guys as well. To love your children. Your children are going to fall short. They're going to break your heart at times. Keep loving them. Keep showing mercy and grace to them. And I, I, I tell you that whenever a mother is merciful and is joyful and is at peace, she has the unique ability to bring so much life into a household when she shows mercy and when she's kind and when she's joyful. I'm telling you, you girls have that unique ability to bring so much life into your household when you are kind and compassionate, when you really put that maternal instinct on display to show grace to those around you. It can change your family around in an instant. So wives and mothers, learn to have compassion, to understand that your husband and children are broken, hurting, and imperfect, and learn to extend grace, help, and love to them even when they don't deserve it. Wives and mothers, show mercy. And finally, children. You guys aren't getting left out either, okay? This is a whole family affair today. Children, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And then Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So, you may be wondering, how in the world does this connect with showing mercy to my family or to my parents? Well, listen here, kids. It says to honor your father and your mother. And as children, we all know that our parents aren't perfect, right? They mess up. They make mistakes. They're not perfect. They're never going to be perfect. So we shouldn't hold them to an expectation of perfection. Rather, we should honor them and show respect to them. Because, kids, I want you guys to really think about this in your mind, okay? Your parents go away. They leave the house, and they go and slave away at their jobs all day long and they come home, and they're run down and ragged, and guess what? You're there. When you get there, and that's not a bad thing, y'all. It's a good thing, but it means responsibility. They're responsible for their jobs, and then they have to come home and take care of you. They have nonstop stress, nonstop responsibility. And as you guys get older, you'll learn what that can do to a person. It'll make your head look like this right here, okay? Make your hair fall out. It's stressful, <laughs> yeah. It's hard, y'all. It's difficult being a parent. Now, I'm not even a parent, and I know that it's difficult because I see how parents struggle with their children at times. So children, a great way that we can honor our parents is by being merciful to them. Ask them, how was your day? And if they're being you know, a little bit harsh with us or whatever, just ask them, hey, is everything okay? Like, how are you doing? That'll make your parents' day if you will just ask them how they are doing and what's going on with them because that will help them to realize that you actually care about them and you care about what's going on in their lives. So children, we need to show mercy to our parents and in that way, we will honor them. So children, learn to have compassion on your parents. Understand that they are broken and hurting and imperfect and extend grace help and love to them even when they don't deserve it. I assure all of you that if we will apply these scriptures to our lives, if we will learn to love one another through showing mercy, through showing compassion, through showing understanding, that so many of the issues that we have in our lives and in our families especially would either be brought to a minimum or would completely and totally go away. And that will enable us to enjoy our relationship with God more and to enjoy our families more and just to live a life full of love, joy, and peace. God created the family before he ever created the people of Israel, before he created the church. The family is the building block of God's creation of society. So it's really important to God and you can go from Genesis to Revelation and find so many commandments and so many things that deal with the family. So I want to encourage all of you by saying that God cares about your family. You may think that God has forgotten your family, that you're, that you're the group that He's left out of His care and provision, but I promise you that's not the case. He cares about each and every family that He has established under the sun. He cares about us. He loves us. And He's giving us the path to peace. Into kindness, into joy in our families. And that path is the path of mercy and compassion. Please stand with me. I would like for everyone here to bow their heads and close their eyes. I'm going to read one more brief passage to you all. I really want you, as you stand there with your eyes closed and heads bowed to really meditate upon these words that come from Psalm 103. If you're really feeling down and really wondering whether or not God is compassionate and merciful, I, I really encourage you to read Psalm chapter 103. So this is Psalm 103, verses 13 through 14. This is God's disposition towards us. And my challenge for all of us here in 2023 is that we have the same disposition towards everyone, around us and especially towards our family members starting in verse 13 as a father shows compassion to his children so the lord shows compassion to those who fear him for he knows our frame he remembers that we are dust god knows that we are weak and for that reason he shows us mercy and grace may we do the same with our loved ones and those around us let's pray God, we praise you and thank you, Lord, for being a merciful father. And God, without your mercy, we would have no hope. We would have no joy, no peace, Lord. But in your great patience and understanding, Lord, of our fallen condition, you have stuck with us, God, and you've brought us to a new year. Lord, your mercies are new every morning. And God, your mercies are new each and every new year as well. So, Lord, I just pray for for myself for my family and for all the families who are represented here today at Oak Grove. God, please help us to show mercy and compassion to one another. Help us to show empathy, to to understand that we're all messed up. We all got issues and problems. My problems aren't the same as those who are listening to me, and their problems aren't the same as mine. We're all different, God, but we're all broken, and we all need your grace and mercy. So Lord, just help us to be kind to those around us. Lord, help us to show understanding, help us to offer help to our family members. Instead of criticizing them, Lord, may we ask them how they're doing and how we can assist them and come alongside them, God, because you do that with us each and every day. God, we praise you and thank you for your mercy. Lord, you are the standard. You are the standard of perfection and help us to pursue that standard each and every day, God, in love for you and in love for our neighbors and help us also to be merciful to those outside of our families and our friends and complete and total strangers, crazy people we see on the TV. God, help us to be merciful as you are merciful, Lord. Because when we are merciful, when we are compassionate, God, you will show your mercy and compassion to us as you have already done way more than we deserve. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for a new year. May it be full of blessings and holiness and righteousness and in growth in the Holy Spirit for everyone who is here We pray that you will protect us, Lord, from spiritual dangers and physical dangers alike. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much. Give us hearts full of gratitude this year and always. In Jesus' name, amen.